Carlos to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Mallcast. Bonsoir. Good evening. Um, so uh, the question is... Where did it all go wrong on Saturday afternoon? Or did it all go wrong? Uh, will we start with the kick to the corner or the kick at the post? Why not? Everybody else has. Yeah. Uh, I immediately leapt up four beers into the game and I said, Go to the corner! <laughs> <laughs> and then I went, no wait, take your points, deep breath, take your points. What would the All Blacks do? Take your points. <laughs> Someone described what would the All Blacks do to, the, uh, to me as the I am an All Black fallacy. Uh, well, uh, someone else sent me a picture, a meme of a gravestone with the words "Take your points" written on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did you think I was dead? <laughs> Were you concerned about me? <laughs> they buried him on the Sabbath. <laughs> uh, so um, let's yeah, let, let, what, let's review the decision. How was the decision to take three points with eight minutes to go when we got the ball back three more times? That bad a decision. I don't think it was. Where do I start? I I was in two minds, um, and then I thought, oh, you got to kick it. And probably what got me, there was two things that got me about it afterwards. One was that James Ryan should have made his decision quicker. He went for this consultative type of approach, which is not your role as a captain. And the second thing was, why was this even a decision? And what I mean by that is, if you're scenario planning for a game, like if take, like you talked about that Conte approach where he gets his players, like they do unopposed positional stuff. This is where you stand. And I thought, man, that is awesome that you have this. Because when you, when, like when you coach a team, I remember when I coached a team uh, and I coached a few of them, but I remember one particular evening and I was coaching a team, and it was the winter time. Was it November, December? It was winter, and it was dark. Could have been February, which is also <laughs> the winter. And I was like, right, run around that. And the lads all ran off, and I was like, I told those group of men to run around that stick in the dark, and they're doing it. <laughs> and they're going to run back to me. I'm going to tell them to run around another stick. And I was there going, this is some fucking weird shit. Like, I never thought of it like this, but run around those sticks down there. Um, so that idea of Conte standing in the middle of a bunch of multimillionaires telling them where to stand on the pitch when there's no one else on the pitch is quite frankly mental and like so reaffirming about just like the organization of a team sport that in your scenario planning, if, if you couldn't play and you can't beat the shit out of each other like Leicester did in the 90s because of the concussion, that you go, okay, what do we do when we're six down? with eight minutes to go and we get a kick in front of the posts. What do we do when we're 10 points down, playing away after five minutes? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And then you, the guys go away and they go through what they do. And then they bring it back and they say, we're going to do this. And then as a team, you agree, this is what we're going to do. This is the approach we're going to take. So to give an example of how does that work, big picture. The Lions in 1997 
did that sort of gig. What happens if you're not picked for the test team? What do you do? And they went away in their groups at the beginning and they came up with their ideas and then they, they normalized it. And they said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to support the guy in our position. We're going to go up and say, oh, well done getting it, even though we're really hacked off doing it. And there, there, there was two things about the way they approached it. Maybe three. One, they thought about it. Two, they they went through it before they went away. And most important, I don't know if they're, they're all equally important. It was the players. It came from the players. So it wasn't like McGee can tell them you're going to do this. It wasn't Telfer saying you're going to do this. It wasn't some guy. Fran Cotton. It wasn't some guy running the course who said, this is the way you're going to do it. Like who'd never met them before. It became, and that's why normalized is the important word. It's like the players came up and said, this is what we're going to do. They all heard it and they said, you know what? This is what we're going to do. So then when it happened, this is what arose. So that's why you do like your scenario planning. So that if you go, we're six points down, there's eight minutes left. We have a kick in front of the posts. What do we do? And you go, we all kicked, we kicked the corner or we kicked the post. We don't stand there talking about it. So I thought he definitely should have kicked it. I'm in the minority. It is my bias. I will often say, take your points. And I have said, <laughs> it'll be my, on my inscription on my tombstone. Now, I would look at France's decision with three points up in our 20, in our 22, like five meters away with our second choice front row on with a minute and a half left at their decision to kick. And I was like, I wouldn't kick my points. You're only going to be six points up. Ireland can still win. Having scored one try off a kickoff, like if Ireland get the ball back, they still have a chance to win. You stay down in, this, in these guys' 22, like you, you'll eat a minute in the clock easily. Yeah, especially because... By going down the scrum, resetting, exactly. and then like setting up a few... Uh, just give the ball to Penno. Like they'll all be... Sh- like Ireland will be shitting themselves. Like, you know, you're going to put two men on Penno. So that's an instance where you don't take your points. But by and large, you always take your points. Yeah, I thought it was a very easy go. I, th- I thought it was a true, uh, like a real 50-50 decision. I don't think, like everyone seems to go going, you should have gone for the corner. But most people say that in most, uh, like most uh, Irish rugby fans that I come across on Twitter or in real life are always advocating to go to uh, go to the line rather than for the, for the posts. Um, the consultation thing, I like I felt he's he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't there. I feel like that could just be more of a they're all just confirming that it like that's the decision that it, they agreed upon beforehand rather rather than Yeah, perhaps. It was like who you know, was, it was it was it two minutes into a big game they've been Connor Murray and, and Hendo. I think Hendo was there. Maybe I'm making that up. No, Hendo was, yeah. Yeah, and then Joey, so I thought that was, I don't. And there was also the ref's mic caught somebody from the sideline going, points! <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. So I think that was uh, like whoever was on the sideline for us, Fogs or somebody. Um, you so know, and you- also because it's an easy kick. Like I was, I was going to ask you, because you'd done research into this previously, probably can't remember, it was quite a while since we talked about it. Like your expected goals basically for for kicks versus lineouts. Yeah. You know, like that that is a that's a 95% kick for any international goal kicker. Um, you know, just on the left post. Yeah, so it's worth like 2.9, 2.8 yeah. points. And you go, what's your what's your lineout? Like, you know, for for the lineout to be better than that, 
to be scored over there, what are you going to give yourself? You're going to give yourself in the conversion, like 1.1, 1.2. And, you know, so you you need to be... But, like, the conversion's an add-on. It, it, it's an option. So to score the try, like, you need to be better than 40% to score the try. Um, That's... Sorry, this is a pet peeve. It's a one-score game. Seven points. Like, needing to score seven points is, by definition, not a one-score game. Like a conversion is a different score. Do you know how I know? Because you don't fucking get it. You don't get the score. So and then the, the other thing then was the fact that by dint of taking that kick, Ireland ended up getting a bonus point. And we were in it until the end. So like when Hugo Keenan kicked it away, or he kicked it up in the air, and he was Conway was pointing for him to kick it, Ireland were still in the match by dint of taking that kick. Now, I can see the rationale. Oh, oh, listen, I can see the rationale as well. And I'll also make the point in that, like, France came down, scored in the 78 minute. If we had scored a try anyway and given them the ball back with seven minutes to play, say, if you just exchange one action for the other and say that taking a penalty is the same as scoring a try, they still score... They still score a penalty in the 78 minute and win by one. And, you know, when you start extrapolating it and going, what if, what if, what if, then you're going into the realm of nonsense. So I think it's a 50-50 call. I probably would have gone for the, for the post myself. I also think, like, some people are just queuing up shit on James Ryan and whatever he did, they would say it's wrong. And the other thing about it is uh, the idea of pressure, that if you... I think there's a, a temptation to look at it very much as shit or bust. Like, and how they talked about it in the studio afterwards was like we needed to take risks in order to be drinking champagne, and you know now we're not drinking champagne, and that's right. But you like uh, not implementing pressure, like putting putting pressure, putting teams under pressure is like that. That's that's test level rugby like in every single instance be it set piece defensive line speed breakdown territory territory scoreboard pressure it's that'll break teams i think there's also an element of like obviously incidents toward the end of the game are you know they're vital they're in the denouement but like the points you score all throughout the rest of the game oh. are just as important again yeah. for equal amounts right and there's six points that Ireland gave up either side of halftime. Uh, the first comes from a really bad kick by Hugo Keenan, which goes dead, never gets near the touchline. Rare mistake by Hugo Keenan. They destroy our scrum, kick the points just before halftime. The second one, Andrew Conway is told by the referee he's offside. He doesn't get onside. He just charges on, and they kick the, the points to go 15 points clear. Mm. Uh, and, like, they have... I can't, what's, what's the fullback's name again? Jaminay. Jaminay, like, he, I was so surprised he missed one. He didn't... Oh, I know. Didn't look like he was going to miss one. Hits the ball so high. He hits the ball like Jason Day. <laughs> it's like fucking way up in the so air. Like, those, uh, like, those are way worse decisions by Hugo and by Conway uh, than the decision by made by whatever James Ryan and Joey Carby to get three points, mm. which, you know, got us... Keeps us very much alive in the championship. Could have won us the game because we got the ball back three times after we yeah. after that, as I said. So let's go and feast over the rest of the mistakes in the game. <laughs> yeah, there was... Uh, Joey Carby lauded in some quarters. Um, uh, lauded in some quarters. 
despite the fact that uh, Ireland, you know, had a very patchy first half, uh, and a lot of the credit he, he seems to get, well, he deserves an awful lot of credit for his brilliant goal kicking, which uh, it's funny that we've, um, it's become the most reliable part of his game when his when he broke onto the scene initially uh, for Leinster, having played so well for Clintarf, what was sort of, you know, the, the, the standout part of his game was his broken field running, which he doesn't offer anything for Ireland. Well, he's playing at 10, you know. Um, he's but going- anyway, just to, to, to round off that, uh, like, he, was, he seemed to be given a lot of credit for essentially not shitting the bed. Yeah, that's that's right. Like, he, he didn't shit the bed. He actually, like, he didn't make any handling errors or anything like that. He didn't kick straight into touch. His line kicking was grand. His restarts were good, and his goal kicking was excellent. But he's been playing for Ireland for six years. Of course he shouldn't shit the bed. Yeah, I know. But uh, <laughs> but people were really worried that he, he was, like, he hasn't played well this season for Munster. Uh, like, his his form for Ireland like he's played he got man of the match against Argentina which is like the man of the match award I'm finding or person player of the match whatever it's called is like it's so frankly it's just so freighted with bias uh you know that people decide almost beforehand who they're going to give man of the match to so while he got man of the match against Argentina it's not specifically important he didn't actually have anything very little to do with any of our tries, all of which were scored seven out of seven scored by Fords. And um, but he played part of the deal with the narrative of the host broadcaster. It's yeah, yeah, he played well in that game though, and he played pretty well against France. He played better than I expected. The main thing for me was that uh, his tackle completion was pretty good. Like he's he lost every contact he engaged in, you know. But he's not a strong guy. But A, he didn't get injured, and B, he, we didn't concede a load of line breaks through 10. Like when Leinster have played against Munster recently, Leinster just run a Carberry and run over him. France won a Carberry, ran a Carberry all day. Oh, yeah. And they got over the game line every time. Yeah. You know, like, he's, he, like he will soak all day, but seed the game line all day. But he didn't actually, like, he didn't concede any, like, line breaks. I... I am not a fan. <laughs> I I rewatched it and thought, geez, he didn't play as bad as I as I thought he did. Um, I had him central to pretty much everything he did badly. <laughs> like couldn't couldn't <laughs> race to blame him. And I I think part of that is my knee jerk reaction to the the media's coverage of him. Like, and so in the last two days in the Irish Times, um. Jerry Thornley, like Jerry, Joey Carberry's composure under fire is increasing effectiveness on the gain line and his goal kicking provided the most compelling evidence yet that he is the rightful heir, apparent, understudy, and even rival. This is to Johnny Sexton. And I'm there going, oh, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> what, like, when Sexton's injured? Um, can't see it. And then yesterday, John O'Sullivan wrote what I have to say is a master was a masterful article where he pointed out all of the things that Carberry did wrong, and yet didn't seem to criticise him. And I was there going, so look, if you take out the missed tackles and the lack of concentration and the lack of decoys in Irish back play and the kicks he put too long, he actually played really well. 
and the sort of the maternal coverage of the sickly child that is Ireland's number ten, I I sort of scratch my head a bit because like the guy is a carte blanche and sound perhaps unnecessarily critical, but uh, somebody has to say it. Somebody has to say it. Like I I. I don't see it. I I don't see what everybody else sees. And like even even to start off, like just the level of concentration. So the, the JGP's kick, his his box kick was too short, and it put Ireland under pressure. And Dupont was really quick, but Dupont threw it out. Like so, Dupont threw it in really quickly. If you look at where Ireland's midfield was, all over the place. Joey had his back to the ball. He was going back 10 yards thinking the line was going to happen. He was asleep to it. Ringer saw it coming. Bundy was in between the two of them. Ireland's line is completely disconnected. And France move it over to the space. Jaminet runs. It runs back towards Carberry, right? He doesn't, Carberry doesn't have to make time. Jaminet doesn't, not Jaminet, uh, Villiers doesn't get to it. France go left again, give it to Penno. And like the way France play is give it to Dupont, give it to Entomac, give it to Penno, everybody else defends, or give it to Fiku to crash. Um, I don't know, Villiers scored three tries, but that, that's kind of their plan. It's like, give it to the three blokes. And Penno gets the ball going left. He runs straight at Carberry, who misses him. So he makes the tackle, sort of slows him down, but Van der Fleer is the one who stops. Then they give it to Wokey, who, or Wokey, who is tackled by Ringrose and Bundy. Ireland's entire midfield is now gone. They're all on, they're all on the right-hand side of the pitch, and France have had three quick rooks, and they score after two more phases. So from Oki, it goes over. Giacona makes a brilliant tackle on Uno Antonio. Yeah. Slides back up again, covers across um, on Entomac. Uh, Entomac, and Entomac throws it in. But everybody who's defending that is our front five forwards. Like, so Ar- Ireland have, are spaced, they have men, but... Ireland's midfield is completely gone because they they were disconnected from not paying attention. So rather than taking the space and the threat of Dupont going on a quick line out and being one, two, three, and we talked about the way the Welsh midfield and the Welsh back row, when the Welsh midfield defended really well, it was always the centres were stuck together, didn't have a big dog leg, and more often than not, 10, 12, and 13 were always stuck together and being connected. And we talked about connectedness, talked about in relation to attack, but talked about the fact that Andy Farrell is a defence coach. Connectedness is what you look for when you're defending. So like that was that was the first bit and that's I'll take over a bit from yeah. there. Another thing which I the Six Nations website has a great set of uh, really good statistics pages. It's very detailed. And obviously statistics on their own, like you know, you can make make them suit your argument. When you watch the game, the game is there for you. Watch the game a couple of times. And um, the thing that struck me very forcibly was that so much of the scope of the back play that we showed against Wales wasn't wasn't there in the first half at all. So I looked at the Welsh game again, just fast-forwarding through it, and I was thinking, like, Jesus, Aki is on the ball so often. Aki got on the ball against Wales 33 times, <laughs> and Ringrose was on, like, 24 times. So our, our, just a huge amount of ball going to the centres. Some of it was going to the centres directly off first phase rather than going through Sexton. Uh, and then, so, in against France, in six, Aki was on for 62 minutes. He got the ball seven times. So, like, that's just a huge 
the a huge lack of what was one of our best things against France was how how we were organised in midfield and how we were able to use our centres at first receiver and second receiver interchangeably. Sometimes Ringrose took it at first receiver as a number 13. And you're going, that's just not there. And yes, we had a less ball. Overall, we had something like 6% less possession, which is not nothing, but it doesn't explain that huge lack, the huge sort of abandonment or misuse of one of the most effective things that we did against Wales. It was just like not there. Now, Aki was on, as I say, 62 minutes. Henshaw was on for the other 18. But the combined first centres, they got the ball like 12 times compared to Aki getting it 33 times against Wales. And then if you look at where Ireland played against Wales, we ran from our own 22. We attacked in our own 22 pretty much throughout the match. And again, different, uh, far more physical France are far more physical, stronger set piece, stronger breakdown, playing at home against Wales, playing away against France. But that was completely abandoned. So you go back to, like, Gibbo just box kicked uh, from the back straight off. Like, there, there was no alternative. Now, like, in the, in the good. second half, very poor. in the second yeah. half, we did run it out from our 22. And we got turned over at that rook and James, James Ryan kicked the ball out and they, they scored off it. So you're sort of going, well, like, you know what, do I want more of that? But... Like, very, very different. And then we were talking about, like, how Sexton played and the way it set up and the fact that Aki goes in, uh, Ringrose goes in at first receiver. Sexton got hit very few times against Wales. So whether it's by... Consciously by Farrell putting Farrell and Cat putting together to play, which you have to attribute like that they're all there in training. This has to be the way they structure it. And partly because Joey or Johnny just goes, you know what, I'm too old for this shit. I'm going to stand in the backfield and I'm going to go out the back and I'm going to run it, guys, but I'm not standing up in the gain line to get hit. Bundy's going to stand up in the gain line to get hit. He's huge. Mm. Robbie's going to stand up in the gain line and get hit. You want to hit Robbie Henshaw? Or Gary's going to do it. He's elusive. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm 36, but I'm going to play out the backfield. Whereas Ireland with Joey Carberry, just Joey stands there and he sort of runs across and he gives it to Bundy or he gives it to Gary Ringrose. And he look, like, you look at Ireland's attacks in the back line came from. came from Gary Ringrose making breaks. But there's, there's no decoy. There's no deception. There's no setup. Joey gets the ball twice in the same move. He gets nailed. He gets nailed twice. And some of that is because we had to put more people into the ruck because we were losing rucks. We were getting counter-rucked a lot. And we couldn't get fucking Villiers off the ball unless we had like a crowbar. He was amazing. Uh, but... Some of it is just like n- not organizing the team properly from 10. And and then you go, oh, he missed, like Sexton got inj- injured in Wednesday's training session. So Joey missed the, the team run at the beginning of the week. So you sort of go, okay, he missed the team run at the beginning of the week. You qualify that. But if you go back to the Argentina match, as soon as Ross Byrne came on, Harry Byrne, Harry Byrne, the uh, Ireland's back line looked miles more organized all of a sudden, like, people were standing in very defined, and he was pointing them to do it, and then he was fucking it up by trying to do all the, everything himself. He's just trying to do too much. But, like, you could see it was, like, you could see his habits were there, and then he just couldn't help himself, and he, he, he was overreaching. And... Again, like, you, you go back to that idea of, like, you know, the heir apparent or even the rival, and you're thinking to yourself... What am I? What am I missing that everybody else is seeing? Because they're like they're different planets. 
I think there's an element of um, when Joey sort of like dropped out of the sky uh, and he's a Kiwi, but he's actually Irish, so we can, you know, claim him rather than him being a, a you know, a project player. He provided the promise of the, uh, like, fleet-footed... Bowden Barrett. I think even to us, like the generation of commentators, more of like a Carlos Spencer uh, type player. Um, and there's also the thing that basically Ireland has had this like royal family of outhalves who have like filled in succession yeah. for like... Derek McAleese. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, there has been this thing where it's like, you know... Raj prized the jersey out of Humphrey's hands. Sexton prized it out of Raj's hands. And eventually the chosen one will, will prize it out of like Sexton's hands. And it's like, this, like no one's going to prize it out of Sexton's hands. He literally will die. Before, <laughs> <laughs> he gives it up. But it, like, no, there's a big media narrative around it. There is. Like, we didn't even get to the thing which irritated me most, which is in the second half, second half of the first half, so the second quarter when uh, Joe just got really deep and started kicking the ball up in the air. And go, oh, that annoyed oh, me. Mate, don't do it. That annoyed me so much. There were three, like, they, they weren't even after like, oh, we've run out of ideas. And that was what the commentary on during the game was. Well, it was sort of like, well, Ireland have had to kick there because uh, they had terrible balls. He literally just went 10 yards behind the scrum and kicked rubbish Gary Owens. Like, out of, he must have been exhausted or something. I don't know. He was just, he just looked like he... I don't know. I I don't think he was exhausted. I just think like he got a bit shook, and that's what he went to. And I like this is all complete supposition. But I think at halftime they went in. They told him, "Joe, you've got to get back to the game plan. It's the only way we're going to win this." Because in the second half he was better. Than, big change in the second half. A big change in how we played. Yeah, I thought we. I thought let's talk about what we did right. I think for a while. Uh, I thought we showed a lot of metal to um like to to feel like we we're in that game we're actually 15 points down that's a huge deficit yeah. in match. 15 points down after 45 minutes that's enormous you often say when you go 20 points down in the game you've probably lost it now, oh yeah I know, I know we did lose this game right but like 15 points down we came back to one point and you know whatever the situation towards the end certainly we, you know we we're in there with three points um, away from it at some a certain stage towards the end, they didn't look at all rattled in the second half. Even when they went down fifteen points, and they started playing a lot better, and they scored tries, and they looked like they could. They looked like they they just didn't look uh, ruffled at all uh, as a team, and they like Gibson Park improved his performance enormously after a very very shaky first half. Like Doris improved his performance, um, I thought, yeah, like, like pretty much everyone. Yeah, and got it didn't better. go all our way either. You know, losing Kelleher after twenty five minutes wasn't the plan. Peter Romani came on, and and I think he was on the pitch for five minutes, but he came off because like in, in the first minute he face tackled uh, Cyril Boy, so he was, you know, that wasn't the plan either. Um, so I think I think they do, I think they done extremely well again like against uh, you know real adversity, and 
like nobody played out of their socks in that game. Like everyone made mistakes. Um, Ty Byrne played. Oh, sorry, well. Ty Byrne played out of his socks. He did play out of his socks. Cansom played pretty well. Uh, and yeah, that's true. Yeah, those two players did play out of their socks. But aside from and Gary played well. But most most players like had like not their standout performance of of uh, of this season. And that's you know like France are really fucking good, and that's what you're going to need to do to beat them in Paris is play outstandingly well. Like Jack Conan didn't have a good game. Um, didn't have a terrible game, but he didn't have a good game. Darius knocked on like. One was just a knock-on. The other was like, oh, jeez, an absolute hospital pass from Bundy where I think he actually got tackled before he got the ball. He was certainly appealing for it. But if not, it was a very definition of man and ball at the same time. He stuck with it. Um, as you say, Gibson Park got better. It's just, just like a good second-half performance. Yes, sticking with it, I think, was, was the biggest Joey thing. Joey got better. Joey got better, yeah. Um, like Porter for, forced a turnover after 43 minutes. Keenan worked really hard in, in Rooks. Uh, and Sheehan was evasive. Oh, Sheehan was good. So like, was for, good for, yeah. for, JGB's, for JGP's try, uh, he showed that bit of evasion and got through. And he got a really quick Rook. And France just couldn't fold around quick enough. And Williams was left with a one-on-one. He like, was exhausted after 45 minutes. You pointed minutes. that out, yeah. He, yeah. Got, he got burned by... Hugo Keenan, which I mean, also you get burned by Keenan, but Keenan basically like, did, like basically dropped his shoulder a little bit, or even kind of just looked at Willem. And Willem was like, oh, "I've got to cover this," and then he went around him, and it was just like, "Oh, fuck it." He was real swimming <laughs> after, wasn't he? He was doing that like tumbling forward yeah. out of balance, trying but, to chase him. But he had put in forty-five minutes of some of the most devious second row play <laughs> I've seen in a long time. He's a big bully, isn't he? Oh, what a what a like. The referees, there should be a, like in the NFL, there should just be an extra judge on the pitch to watch second rows <laughs> cheat. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah. I, I found that um, it, certainly in the last 10 minutes when DuPont was gone, um, but probably even before that, and this isn't watching the replay, this is watching it live, I went, France don't want the ball. Like Sean Edwards has become, there's two bits to this. One is how... Uh, influential Sean Edwards is in the French coaching setup and how much they trust their defence and I think more more importantly is how they pick their team so I was going back earlier and I was maybe leaving out Villiers but like I, I think Villiers Villiers on the end like Peno is a genius I, I remember watching him at the World Cup against Argentina we were behind it just thinking like this guy is just a bag of tricks he is all class and Entomac is all class and DuPont is is something else. And look, it's not like every time Entomac touches the ball that like the magic is going to happen. It's just like he is so capable of one-off bits that other people can't do. DuPont is an incredible player. He's the world player of the year at the moment. Like he's he's and you know, whenever somebody gets world player of the year, uh the sort of the seasons around it, like you're conscious of just how much better than everybody mm. else they are. And like, Fiku as well. Like, there's a player who I thought for like he, five years was like, "Oh, this is, this is like, uh, he's like Charvet. He like looks great. <laughs> Probably the worst back in the team. But Fiku's now like playing great stuff. But Fiku's their defensive captain. Like, yeah. If, and Fiku's, I you see, I I kind of disagree. Like Fiku's uh, like a big strong athlete who's been playing for France for like a decade. Mm. But like his his job in that match was defensive captain and run at Joey. Like, first phase, just 
charge it up, run it, Joey. And he did it again and again and again. Whereas those three guys are, they make the magic for France. But France are quite happy, not, like they're not quite happy. They're, they're happier not having the ball, particularly when DuPont was gone. In the last mm-hmm. 10 minutes, like they, they, they had... They're kicking they the ball away. Just, they just all kicked the time. it away and they went, we need to defend. So you go back to like look at the back row that they picked. Like we're not talking about Caban, Benazi, and Benetton. We're talking about like Aldrich's a good worker. Oh, Aldrich's the best number eight in the world. Yeah, but he, he's a working number eight. Like he oh. isn't like a he isn't Harry Nordicky, mm-hmm. Harry Ordinary. And then Crow and Jalanch are like workers. They're tacklers they're breakdown merchants they're destructive they're strong but they're already footballers they're the piano movers and that's the way that that's the team that France have played and like France have so many players they could pick a different team but it wouldn't be as physical it wouldn't be as defensive it wouldn't be as strong and then you look and you look at the way where they pick Wokey like they could pick fascinating they could pick Wokey at six or seven because they play left and right but they don't want to pick them there. They want to get in like destructive, awkward guys to play in the flank. But they need Wokey for the line out. Mm. And they, they need Williams there for the scrum. So they're going, right, we've got two set piece locks. One for the scrum, one for the line out. A, so a tractor and a giraffe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is the team that they have. And this sort of idea that, like, oh, you know, France didn't play, like France could have pulled away. And you're going. How do you figure that? Well, also with, the, with the team that they had, like just because France got ahead in Paris, you reckon that they could have pulled away. So Ireland, I think it's really good that Ireland stuck to it. And it was a real shame that they didn't win. And like immediately afterwards, you said to me, like the team had, had guts and Farrell referred to the team having guts. And it, it's one of those things that you really hope that they, they take a lot of comfort from the fact that, they, they stuck with it and that they could have been into it. And for a number of decisions that they made, they didn't win. But, like, it was a winnable match. Um, they would have won if it was in the Aviva, I'm telling you. They would have won if it was in the Aviva. But it's, it's, so it's obviously disappointing not to win. But I, I thought the work rate, I thought the fitness of Ireland um, was, was really, really good. And I think the difficult thing is when you're Ireland in that, you have to rope it up. And you have to understand that you're open, open. And going back to the sort of the match preparation, it's really hard, really, really hard to get across to a team. So I was talking to you about that goal, that book tour about mm. German football. And I've referred to this a few times. This Uli is only Hesse. Uli Hesse. There's only two certainties in football. The ball is round and the game lasts for 90 minutes. And it keeps on coming up. And you, you sort of go, that is some deep shit. Sepp Herberger. Sepp Herberger. No, and then, we're Sepp Meyer. And Whichever, you, whichever one was the coach. But you did before. philosophy. Like, how, how many German philosophers are there? A few. Oh, there's there's <laughs> quite a few. Like, the Germans yeah. are, like, some deep, deep people. It's, it's so simple and it's so deep that you go, like, everything else is up for grabs. The only certainties in the game are round, ball is round, 90 minutes. Oh, we and, don't even have a round ball in the so there's one certainty. But then you think, like what, like, what are the implications? You just go, it's not over until it's over. It doesn't matter. Like, if you're, if you're two goals down and there's a minute left, you can win. Like, it's, you might have to win an extra time, but, like, you, you can win. Like, it, it can happen. Especially and, if you have a Rigi. And then you're sort of going, in, in, in a match, if you're getting the absolute crap pummeled out of you for 70 minutes... 
it looks like you're going to lose. But if you can hang in for the last 10 minutes, the match is decided in the last 10 minutes. After 80 minutes, it it matters who's ahead. It doesn't matter who's ahead after an hour. It doesn't matter who, who was the better team for the first 70 minutes. It, it matters who is ahead at the end of the 80 minutes. It matters in a tournament who's in form. It matters who's confident. It matters who the best team at the time. You don't have to be the best team for the four years beforehand. And hopefully for Ireland, they understand that playing against South Africa, playing against England, playing against France, you're going to have the shit kicked out of you yeah. for the first 70 minutes. But it doesn't matter if you can hang on in for the last 10. That's one of the things which, it was around the game and not in the game, but people uh, in rugby commentators, not just broadcasters, but people talking about rugby, were like, French will bring a massive pack, great size and aggression. And then they sort of act surprised when that massive size, aggression and impact has a big impact and big, makes a big change in our, our game. Like, I was, uh, like there's this sort of sneaking school of thought, I feel anyway, that Antonio's big, but he's shit. You know, Antonio's not shit, man. He is not shit. He is enormous and incredibly difficult to play against because you have... Always it has to take two people to take care of him. At every breakdown, at every scrum, you have to concentrate on him because he's an, an absolute giant. And every time he carries the ball. And Willem says, well, and you know, then they can just swap in. This is a weakness in rugby at the moment. You can swap in an entire front five. Not an entire front row, an entire front five. They can bring on Taufa like who's as big as Willem said, if not bigger. Um... And like that had a massive Taufafanua coming through the middle for their Cyril Boys try. Like they they had a great like some of the, the shots and the direction from from the French broadcaster. <laughs> like they're infuriating. But they had this brilliant one of for Taufafanua coming through the middle of that rock and just looking like filling the whole screen and how wide his jersey is. Like he's just so broad. You can see him just like push Josh aside. And James Ryan comes in. He physically gets, lifts him up. Yeah. He physically lifts up Van der Fleer yeah. like a doll and and moves him <laughs> like 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 a tidal wave going through a wall. He's and so powerful. Ryan had to run and Ryan, Ryan plowed him. Yeah. But in the process, kicked, kicked the ball out the side of the rook. Those big size 12s. Yeah. Did it more than once. <laughs> It was actually uh, Doris that did it. It was Doris that did it because I rewound it and the boots are the same. And Ryan got blamed for it in the commentary or blamed for it, you know, attributed. And I rewound it and went, no, that one was actually Doris. That's a lunch lady. Um, (laughs) Actually, I just want to finish off with like uh, the great big French men smashing Irish men. The clear out of Andrew Porter in the first minute for the try where Porter is in an unbelievably good position. I think it's Cyril Bai clears him out. Yeah. Cyril Bai. And it's, it, just say his just say his surname. Yeah, so, yeah, I said that during the game. I was like, no one ever says Cyril Boy's name without saying his first name. And then the next three times the commentator said it, they referred to him as Boy. Ah, the first shit. time <laughs> in my life. Anyway, he he cleans him out clean as a whistle, like totally legit. Low, like drilling in, binding on him, hitting shoulder on shoulder, and it's just like that is. I fell on my bottom. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, that's Andrew Porter in the first minute of a game. Yeah. It's not, he's not even knackered. Yeah. And it was just like, that is a literally... Best player you see all tournament. Yeah, absolutely spectacular bit of bit of play. Just in this sweeping movement. Better than the pass inside to DuPont, I'd say. Let's move on from that game. Um, 
Game theory. It's you my, have an, a penalty advantage, and yet you still take a drop goal. On 71 minutes. On 71 minutes. But the drop goal wins the game. <laughs> uh, that's, what, that's what Dan Bigger did. Um, Love that. First time, in, I'd say about 15 years, I was cheering for Wales. I watched, I missed, missed parts of it due to being on the move between places. Um, but it was one of those Six Nations games that's high in late drama, but I thought it was low in quality. I absolutely agree. The first half was entertaining. Uh, it was give a punch, take a punch. And then the second half was like, that's swinging and missing. You know, really not a good second half. And... And why I say what, uh, why I was up for Wales is because like we beat Wales and we haven't played Scotland yet and we have to play them in the end. So it's much easier to to play a team who's not competing for anything. For anything, you know. So they can't get a triple crown now. Can't get a grand slam. They might be in the hunt for the championship if yeah. they beat France. Yeah. And they're playing them at Murrayfield. Yeah. So maybe. Good. Yeah, they have a good record against France yeah. at Murrayfield. Um, but. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, wasn't like Welsh team not monumentally different from the team that played against us. Different personnel, but like same sort of standard. No no big upswing in, in any particular part of their game. And like it's just showed up really well. You know, it showed up like the Scots are, are very, uh, <laughs> Matt Williams was very harsh on them. And like, that's a real fucking glass house to be throwing stones from me over Matt. And the Scots are really up in arms about it. But like, the, it hurts because it's true. Like, too, too much, too much cockiness from the Scots. And once again, Finn Russell let them down. Like, Finn Russell hadn't, like, I, I think he's, he's obviously talented. I, I, I completely think he's a flake. I, I wasn't surprised. I said it that I didn't think Wales were that bad. I thought, I think Pivak's a good coach. I think Wales have decent players. Um, I think they're a step down from what they were. Oh, of course. Under Gatland. Um, and they're miss, you know, they miss Alan Jones, they miss Ken Owens, Falatow, Tipperick, you know, all, all the names. Big George Hearts. <laughs> I remember. I think it was, was it the first podcast we did? It was certainly the first winter of podcast that we did. And you guys both tipped up Scotland. I was like, no, no. Wales, <laughs> Wales will win that one. <laughs> and even years later, when Wales are worse and Scotland are better, I still look at them and I go, in Cardiff, Wales will win that. Uh, and Jesus, like if you're, if you're Scotland, oh man, like, I mean, what, what, what excuse do you make for yourself? So if you go back to, like Ireland showed fight all the way through that match and having having been comfortable as favourites against Wales. So like it'd be, it's always very interesting the way the tournament plays out. But I, I think Ireland are, like Ireland would beat Scotland uh, when the time comes for it. And it might be close for 60 minutes, but it won't be close at the end. Ireland win by double double figures in Dublin, yeah. Yeah, I looked at it like the they started uh, Scotland started with Schumann and WP Nell uh, on 
loose head and, and uh, tight head. And then they brought on Sutherland and Ferguson. You're going, Jesus, Scotland have good props. Uh, Johnny Gray is obviously such a solid, rock solid international. Gilchrist is grand. He's not like he's a good player, but for an international player, you know, not a, not a great international. But like their, their front row is now like got a great set of props. So, so where's the weakness? Like they've got Hamish Watson. Fagerson went off. The other Fagerson brother, the number eight, went off uh, injured in the first half. And like they've got. They, they clearly have good backs. And you're going, what is the fucking story? Like, they are more talented than this Welsh team. And they should have, like, a lot of... They should have... They were in a quite a good position because they they got the confidence from beating England while knowing that they can play better. You know? Russell and Hogg are far too variable. Oh, yeah. And they're the, they're the two best players, but also... Sorry. When things go well, they're the two best players. They're the two most influential players all the time. And... Like two, like just two variable, mm. two. So Finn Russell played that third test against South Africa and looked had he played the rest of the series that the Lions would have won it. But the fact was, he wasn't playing the rest of the series. He wasn't picked. Hogg has been in a few tours without, and each time he, like he was very young going on the first one, but he's he's never managed to. He's never really managed to enter, like to to put himself into the, like the one the tour in New Zealand. Should have been the one that he was going to be like that. Should have been his real shout for a test fullback. Um, but Liam Williams was the yeah. Obvious. So I just I uh, I'm a bit uh, of an animus against Hogg because I don't, I know you've heard this before, but like he he won. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna say it again. <laughs> he won like he won these like player or ring in and vote for who's your who's the best player of the Six Nations. I don't believe in that. I don't think a public vote has any business doing that. And I want a bunch of old lads and blazers telling us who the best player in the Six Nations is. Uh, but he won it when like Pickamoles should have won it one year, and when Billy Vunapolo should have won it another year. So you're going, this guy's a double Six Nations player, here, and he's won like five or four Six Nations Man of the Match awards, and they just tend to fucking give it to him. You know, like he's really talented, but like he makes so many mistakes. So and many Finn mistakes. Russell can play like a half he played against England where they came back from 31-3 down. <laughs> they should have won it. Um, but, oh, just that consistency. It's, it's like, it's great to watch as a, as a neutral that like you, you don't know what he's going to do. He's like, he's, and he's, he's really enjoyable to watch. Look, it's, it's Joey Carberry. It's, he's... He's, he's way better than Carberry, but like he's entertaining. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it, it's that but idea. International rugby is about winning, and that's yeah. Like it's about winning for coaches, keep momentum from match to match. Like I'm always, I'm not surprised anymore. I get irritated when people suggest there should be like fucking ten changes every match between personality on man. No, there shouldn't be. Like the whole point, like you see how the mood changes. Uh, certainly during Joe Schmidt era. The, the mood changed so much week to week when Ireland lost the game in the Six Nations. Like the amount of bitching and moaning that starts off is mind-blowing. Like Coaches are aware of that, but it's not criticism from the press that they're aware of. They just realise like, your goal in an international rugby is just like to win all your games. Just keep on fucking winning. 
Ireland's under-20s uh, Grand Slam dream still on the cards after a late, late win against France. Grand Slam dream is alive, not on the cards. Okay. Uh, why, why do you say that? The Italians are going to be A this. dream is alive. A dream isn't on the cards. Let's get the cliches uh, correct. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's fair enough. Um, so the dream is, the dream is uh, still alive, but... Um, do you want to talk about the Italians under twenties? I mean, you you do. You want to talk about that, don't you? I said last week, and I've been saying it for about a decade, that the Italians need a pair of halfbacks. And I thought, geez, your man Garbisi, like he's a competitor, and he's he's playing international rugby at nineteen or twenty, and he's playing for Montpellier. And so it's like they have one. So watching the Italians, and I didn't see all of the match. Hey, is that little Garbisi playing a scrum half? <laughs> yeah, Luigi Garbisi. Yeah. <laughs> So his brother's 19, he's playing scrum half for the 20s, and I'm there going, this, this is what you want. And he's good. He, he moves. So, and we talked about Steve Abood. So when Conor O'Shea went in as the head coach of the Italians, he was poor as a head coach. But being Conor O'Shea, I'd say he put in, however, how long is he there for? Three years, four years? Say the bloke didn't take a day off. Even when he was off, he was thinking about Italian rugby and working hard and putting in the structures and just like doing a lot uh, of like, you know, leaving the jersey in a better place than he found it. Not just saying it, doing it. And uh, the the, the, the Italian 20s beat the Irish under 20s at Christmas time. There was league matches on and whatever. Like it wasn't a first choice Irish 20s team when when you look down through... But then you're going, like, we're playing at home. And you're kind of going, all right. Yeah, bad result for us. Bad result for us. Uh, and the Italians, the Italians won their first two matches, but beating England at 20s level is a phenomenal result. And, like, the Italians did not know how to win. Like, <laughs> in the bit that I saw, <laughs> so I was looking at it and I was there going, ah, I want to watch the Irish match. And, like, it was kind of the recordings and I wanted to watch the Leinster match. So I was there going, I really hope they win, but I'm not watching the last 10 minutes of this match. And I was there going, because I really feel they're going to they're gonna lose. Like, they're, they're just making far too many mistakes. And <laughs> some England are England. is going to run like, in. Yeah, some really annoying English winger is going to come on and they start chest bumping all his pals. <laughs> like, it's, it's just going to hack me off too much, so I'm not going to watch it. If, if you know, if, there is, if God wills it so, and his emissary... He's representative on Earth. <laughs> lives in Rome. <laughs> you know, Allah be his name. And uh, so it turned out. But like, it, it's it's a brilliant result for the Italians because their like their senior results are poor. But it's it's getting better for them. And seriously, like if your man Garbisi is as good as his brother, it's great for Italian rugby uh, to have like your best players playing nine and ten because they're always going to be strong in the pack. So I thought it was really good. I thought the Irish guys really stuck to it. I thought it was, like the 20s are, and again, repeat myself, such a great representation of where your rugby culture is at the moment. And like, ours are polite robots. Oh, to a man across all four, all four provinces of just like earnest, polite robots of like constantly working, good set pieces, breakdowns. Lineage. Yeah. Uh, never given up and I thought your man Devine who came on at scrum half was really good 
He was like that thought, robot from iRobot. Yeah. He has a mind of his own. Yeah, yeah. Input, input. <laughs> and he, he just he kept he just kept running at the French, which was great. Like we needed somebody to take the game to them. And uh it's great. Like to win away in France. It's Absolutely so satisfying to steal a game at the end. It's, it's a magic feeling to to win. And we didn't even win it with the try. We won it with the kick. And like the kick is very gettable, but you're just there going like massive squeaky bum time for Charlie Tector. So you're going <laughs> clenched everything. You're just hoping because everyone was on the ground. Like even the commentator was going, I don't like the way he takes it back. So far. <laughs> and I was there going, you said it. You said what I'm thinking. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's it's incredible because you're looking at the way the the fixtures go. And like for the senior team, you're going, well, they're playing the Italians at home. Like, hopefully they give Carberry another start and not bring back Johnny because like what is to be, like you're better off giving Joey a second match in a row. Oh, and ju- 100%. Just seeing like, you know, does he get any better? Well, he will get like, better. Like with all yeah. the training runs, playing against the worst team. Like can he put shape on? All, all the things we criticized him for this evening. Can he address those against a team that's miles worse when he's playing home in the Aviva? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for the twenties, I play Keatley. For, <laughs> for, for the for the twenties, you're going. This is an incredible match. You've got two teams who are going to be full of confidence playing against each other, and it, it it doesn't look like it should be in like when you see like Ireland against Italy. You're sort of thinking these teams should be out of it, having played England and France. Between, you know, mm. each in in the first in the first sort of round of matches, um, like the Italians will take so much belief from having beaten the English and from having beaten Ireland at Christmas time in Ireland. Um, was Ireland beaten France? And like, it, it's also really noticeable how much more confident the twenties got. Like when the twenties won the Grand Slam uh, three two seasons ago, three seasons ago, yeah, twenty nineteen. Craig Craig Casey's here, yeah, Harry Byrne, Ryan Barrett, Todd, yeah, good team, good team. They got better match by match by match. It was really enjoyable watching them. Um, they were a really enjoyable team to watch. Our and. Yeah. I can only anticipate it'll be the same for Ireland, but it'll be the same for the Italians. Like that, that's going to be an absolute humdinger of a yeah, game. Yeah, looking forward to that game. Leinster Friday, Edinburgh game. Yeah, Edinburgh good. Like Leinster did really. Leinster got a bonus points out of that in a game which, uh, like, I didn't think at one stage, like in the during the first half, admittedly, I was thinking like. Edinburgh is just better than us. And they look really well coached. They look really up. Come on, Gunners. That fucking six would break my brain. <laughs> but they looked really up for it. And they had, like, the class player. But there was two class players. Michael Alalatoa had a huge game for for Leinster. It would have given him man of the match. But then, uh, is it Fosselli or Bosselli? Buffelli. Buffelli. The Argentinian oh winger. My. Played in the test match for Argentina. God, he's so fucking good. When did he score his try? Oh, late, like 75 How many penalties like did Edinburgh have in the Leinster 22? Yeah. How many points did they kick? Yeah. Like they, they, How they, did that result go for them? Yeah, they didn't, even get off the, they didn't even get off the board until like the game was well gone. Like Leinster had scored their bonus point try in a game, which I didn't think we had a chance of scoring a bonus point try in. I thought that was going to be a really tight game. Like Scott Penny got man in the match and you know, had a very good game. Max Deegan played very well. Martin Maloney came in for his first game. He's a fucking lula. 
<laughs> he had this reputation in the academy. Like, they were just there going, Jesus, he has to protect himself from himself. He's an absolute mantler. He puts his head in where you wouldn't put, like, your enemy's head. Um, and he was throwing... on a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> and he was throwing himself into stuff. But Al Alatoa's, like, he is such a... He's a such a big guy, you know, he's like 1 meter 91, 126 kilos, but he was doing these like like belly to back suplexes basically, not like over the head, but like just picking up guys and like huge torque around the hips and just throwing them around. Leinster's D off their own line was outstanding. Um, strange refereeing performance. He was the guy who ended up doing touch judge uh, the next day actually for the the Ireland-France game. He let people from both sides lie on the opposition side of the rock more than I've seen a ref do it in 10 years. They've definitely eased off on policing that. Uh, I think they've I think they've eased off on a, in a bit of because players are getting more canny at trapping play players yeah, on maybe. one side. That's a good point. And they've just said, if the ball's available, it's not a penalty. But like, even if the guys led to a very fractured game yeah. in this because the ball is really so. Like, there was, like, we did it as well. But we got like, which, which I give credit to the players, Ross Maloney, especially a great liar downer. But um, because they realised that's how the that's how the game is is being ref. You know, there's got, not going to have to be any quick ball in this game. But it made this made for a sort of the first like fifteen first ten minutes was very frenetic. And a lot of ball and play time. And then there was a lot of like, just everything is slow. Because like, there's just lads who you just so used to seeing them penalised. They're not necessarily lying on the ball, but they're in the way. Uh, he just wasn't penalised. He literally didn't. He would only penalise things where people were like around the ball, like or lying on the ball. And I don't know whether I liked it or not. It's sort of, well, it's always difficult when you're used to seeing things reft a certain way and you see it another way and you're going... What's the problem here? Oh, this is slow because we, we slash they are always on the wrong side. It's funny. I'd have I wouldn't have had either of those as I'd have had Scott Penny as in pretty much every Leinster match where the internationals are playing. I'd have Scott Penny as my man of the match. I oh, think he's very he's good. Such yeah. an enjoyable footballer to watch. He does so many things well. Scores so many tries. And he's a wee tank as well. Like you see him play at seven, you see him play at eight, and you just sort of go, oh, like it's such a pleasure to watch a guy who's a footballer play. And he's, I really like him as a player. Max, I was, I Max was, played very well though. Max well. played well. Um, and I was, I felt sorry for Kieran Frawley when he went off. Oh. I thought it was a sickening. I hate watching those things in replay. I don't. I tend to fast forward them and, uh, or just not watch them. I, it looked really sore when it happened. And uh, so then I was like, who do they have on the bench? And they had Harry on. And I was like, ooh, how's this going to go with... Uh, Brilliantly. With uh, two out halves playing and what's going to be like defensive wise. As you said, it was great. It was great. Um, it was really, really good. Leinster look... Re- like, Leinster look... And Frawley's in that situation where he's playing, it, he's playing in that second... He's in that second playmaker role. And Leinster wanted to do it with uh, Joey Carberry at fullback... And, you know, where do you put Frawley? He's like, we put him at second centre, we give ourselves two distributors. And then you've seen, like, the two the two Burns play, and you're sort of going, this works. Uh, it certainly works against Edinburgh, playing mm. them, and, like, when Harry is fit, 
And the defense was the other thing that I was thinking, okay, it was a, it was a rusty Leinster team against Cardiff. And I can't remember, did you talk about that Cardiff match? No, we didn't talk previously. about it. Previously. What struck me about the Cardiff match was how many people went to it. Yeah. I thought it was great. It was an amazing game. It was really, really good. And okay, you, don't see, lose it, yeah. you don't want to see Leinster lose it, but just sort of going, like, this is deadly. People are, hopefully more and more people go and watch Cardiff because, like, it's, it's, it's the best, in my opinion, the best city in the world to go and watch a match in. Not, it's not the best city in the world by a distance, but it's the best city to watch a match in because the two grounds, like the Millennium and the Cardiff Arms, like they're beside each other, they're right in the middle of town. And Wales, like Cardiff's a rugby city. It's. it's I love that. I love that little stadium. I think oh, it's really nice. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like it, it's a great, it's a great town to watch a game in. And um, I don't know about, it was the, it was Leinster's defence. It was like so they were very rusty against Cardiff. Um, they just and you're kind of going, how are they going to bounce back now? Like because they don't have the quality of players. Like all the quality players in Leinster are in the Irish camp. Uh, of like the guys who are top notch, like the senior pros. So there's good players there, but like there isn't like there isn't an, an Isa, there isn't like a a really experienced Fardy, Fardy you know, top class international who's gonna kinda mother them through it. So I thought it reflected really well on the coaching of Leinster that their defence is so good. And I'll go back to it. Like if Edinburgh had kicked their points and put Leinster under pressure six nil, nine nil it was a tougher match for Leinster, but Leinster got so much out of their defence. So then you go, what did France do best? They defend. What did France want to do in the last 10 minutes? Defend. Mm. France kicked goals as well. So you kind of, like, yeah, it's, maybe we'll end where we've begun. It's, it's, I have my bias, but it's not as easy to say, we're going to kick for the corner, ergo, it's going to be seven points. Like if, if you watch the match, watch that Leinster Edinburgh match, and watch the way Leinster got so much energy out of their success of defending Edinburgh, and look how Edinburgh turned up points and couldn't put the pressure on Leinster. Like, to me, that says it all. Last question: Who comes in for the Italy game? Change the whole team. <laughs> Balakum in for Conway. Um, Coombs in from oh Manny like must have been like HIA'd to come off that early uh, I'd like to see Hendo back to get minutes into him and that's like that's three changes um, Balakun and Henshaw I'd like to see Henshaw get minutes if he Balakun has to come in so, and again, going back to the biases that Ireland's a team, so like it's not just a reward in and of itself. And Andrew Conroy played so well during November that like, how could you drop him? But when Ireland needed to score seven points in the last minute of the match, I was just thinking to myself, Jesus, like we just need somebody, we need cheap mode. I don't care if he's not work rate. Like, you see the explanation for Conway getting picked and it's like, oh, you know, Farrell and Cat like work rate wingers and you go, yeah, yeah, that's good. And then Conway scores two tries against Wales and you go, yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah, and he's sick and you go, geez, that's even better. He's not going to score a try against France. In He's not, like, not going to score a try from his own half against France 
in the last minute. It's not going to happen. Whereas Balakun might. Yeah. If France are like, who's who's going to make a line break against France? Balakun. Who is the Irish player that if he gets side of the line from anywhere on the pitch is going to score? Balakun. Who else? Nobody else. He's not going to score from. Yeah, well, not, I thought like he's getting, not going to score from seventy yards. I thought that like Villiers just. I said this to you before in a text. Like Villiers just had such a big game against. Like he's Conway's direct opposite, and it wasn't like particularly that he made Conway look bad. Just there going like fucking rage, Mac Hart. Is yeah. it, that's how his name <laughs> translates. Like, he just played an amazing. Like he. Again, nothing flashy, but like that's that was sort of what we needed. Uh, that's not what we need. Everyone needs that. Like it's not a, especially to us, but like that was the level. Like he he had this massive massive game. And you're just there going, can't we? Like can't we? <laughs> you know my dislike of of giving out player ratings. I'm like this is a six and this is a five. Just think that's fucking. There's some of the stupidest things you can ever imagine. But like Conway sort of drifted through that game and, and like actually gave away one sort of bad penalty and then one harsh penalty. Uh, but uh, Vidier was just so fucking good in it. Like, and, and, you know, just being like frank about it, Conway didn't give us fucking much. So yeah, just pick Balakum. No, like game. Conway's legs are gone. So take whatever year that was. What year did Conway score that try against Toulon? I should have looked this up before. I, I think it was 2018. That's the sort, like, he was Villiers five seasons ago. That's when he was playing his best stuff. And that's the thing with wingers. Like, you can't play yourself in. Like, wingers, you have them for two or three years. It's like a striker who's scoring goals. Doesn't Like, it doesn't matter what age he is, just, like, play him. Play him all the time and just let him bang in goals. Because it doesn't matter the rest of the stuff that he does. You have, you have somebody who'll score you 25 goals a season. You just keep picking him. Like forget your stats. Like forget forget everything else. Just let him bang in goals. That's all that matters. And like for a winger, I don't understand why we're picking this guy whose legs have clearly gone because of his work rate against a guy who is cheap mode. And it mightn't be cheap mode in two years' time. You don't know what hamstring injuries the guy's going to get picked. You don't mm. know how many times he's going to get hammered. You got to do like the All Blacks do. It's just like when yeah. they're when you pick them when they're good and you you run them until they're gone and you just get rid of them and you pick the next good guy. Mm. You pick a uh, pick the, like play the hot hand, you know. Yeah, definitely. 